With COVID-19 cases again on the rise in Indiana, we're seeing new information about the pandemic's impact on our schools, our economy, and our crime rate. Today, we'll talk with Congressman Andre Carson, House Speaker Todd Houston, and State Auditor Tara Klutz. Plus, with state lawmakers leaving Texas for Washington, D.C., we're looking back at the impact of a similar walkout here in Indiana nearly 10 years ago. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Indiana's daily case numbers continue to rise with the Delta variant spreading here in Indiana. We'll take a closer look at the impact the pandemic has had on our schools. We're also hearing about our economy this week and some good news from state officials about Indiana's budget reserve. State House reporter Kristen Eskow joining us this morning. And Kristen, politically speaking here, both sides kind of taking credit for this news in some ways, attempting to at least. Well, exactly, Dan. There are certainly different perspectives yeah. as to who gets the credit, the Biden administration or Republicans here in Indiana at the state level. But Indiana officials say it's clear our state's economy has seen significant growth this past year. We kept seeing um, record revenue coming in, whether it's sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. Indiana Auditor Tara Klutz says those gains helped the state earn nearly $4 billion in reserves over the past year. As required by state law, about $1 billion of that money will be divided between a retirement fund for teachers and an income tax credit for Hoosiers. When you're simulating the economy, people are either going to save that money or they're going to spend it. We anticipate a lot of people spend it. We also think a lot of our employers um, are hiring employees and they're increasing their wages and so we're getting more income tax. The auditor says the state will figure out how much the refund will be worth per taxpayer based on how many Hoosiers file taxes this year. The last time this refund was given out in 2013, each taxpayer earned a $111 credit. We have great policies in place that encourage uh, pro-growth businesses and for that reason our businesses have flourished. Politicians on both sides of the aisle are excited about the news but differ on whether Indiana's government or the federal government deserves the credit. Democrats delivered the on the American Rescue Plan. It's because of the rescue plan is that Indiana was been able to stay in such strong financial position. Meanwhile, state lawmakers say they're not ruling out the possibility of lowering taxes next session. We want to always make sure we're being uh, fiscally responsible and, and keeping the taxpayer in mind. Now it'll be several more months once we find out how much that tax credit will be worth per Hoosier taxpayer. And you also asked Speaker Todd Houston about these these troubling results we heard about from the iLearn test this week and what this means in terms of education in our state in, in the midst of this pandemic. Well, that's right, Dan. The pandemic being blamed for those lower standardized test scores. Students in grades three through eight take the iLearn and state officials say just 28 percent pass the math and English portions of the exam. Now, that number was 37 percent when the test was given in 2019. It was um, clearly disappointing and, and through no fault of a, a, the student or the parents or the educators. Um, you know, obviously a, a extraordinarily unique uh, and challenging last 16 months, but it just means we need to be laser focused on how we, um, you know, how we help kids get caught up. These are not problems that anyone can fix overnight. This is going to take an extended effort just to get us back to where we were. <laughs> now, Indiana's Secretary of Education saying it could take some students years to catch up. Mm, okay.
Kristen, thanks. In the meantime, speaking of the pandemic itself, as we mentioned off the top, the COVID-19 numbers have also been going in the wrong direction here in terms of our daily case count lately. This week we had a number of days with more than 500 cases, at least twice as many as we'd seen here typically in recent weeks. Health officials still urging vaccinations for those who've not done so just yet. Another big issue here nationwide and here in Indy throughout this pandemic, the issue of violent crime. This past week, the Indianapolis City County Council passing a proposal to put more than $3 million into anti-violence efforts. $1.5 million would go toward enhanced data technology. Another $1.8 million would fund initiatives focused on domestic violence reduction, mental health, and youth intervention and rehabilitation. The local FOP saying they wanted to see money spent in the short term on other crime reduction measures. This issue also being discussed this week at the White House, where the president met with mayors from around the country. Well, there's no one-size-fit-all approach. Uh, we know there are some things that work, and uh, the first of those that works is stemming the flow of firearms used to commit violent crimes. We need all hands on deck. It's not solely on the shoulders of elected officials. We need concerned citizens. We need folks to uh, report crime as, as they see it happening. Uh, we need our faith leaders who are critically important. They don't get enough credit for the work that they do. We need our educators. Everyone has to be a part of solving this crime issue. And I think if we get to the core root of why the crime is happening, it'll go a long way. All right, meantime, in the nation's capital this week, Democrats from Texas left their state capital to come to Capitol Hill to try and prevent a vote in Texas on a controversial bill that they say could have a detrimental impact on voters' rights. Jesse Turnor has reaction from Washington. The big lie is just that, a big lie. President Joe Biden defended the 2020 election results and Americans' right to vote in the place where he noted, we the people began, Philadelphia. It's up to all of us to protect that right. This is a test of our time. To push back on new state laws that he says make it harder for people, especially minorities, to vote, the president called on Congress to pass pending legislation. I will sign it and let the whole world see it. Back in Washington, we need the power of the presidency. Congressman Lloyd Doggett urged the White House and Senate to take action after his fellow Texas Democrats fled the state legislature in protest of a proposed voting law. There is seldom been more at stake. That's why they're here. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer praised the Texas Democrats and is helping them plan their next move. The bottom line is this. Democrats will not stop fighting to protect voting rights and defend our democracy. But Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is not impressed by their efforts. Quite interesting to see the Democratic majority in the Senate concerned about minority rights in the state Senate in Texas. I guess if you live long enough, you'll see almost anything around here. As Jesse Turner reporting, meantime, Indiana GOP chair Kyle Hupford this week saying, quote, Texas Democrats should have reached out to former Indiana House Speaker Pat Bauer and Indiana Democrats and asked them, how their walkout in Indiana worked. Hupfer and other Indiana Republicans this week, of course, making reference to those infamous walkouts in 2011 and 2012 when Indiana Democrats left the state house and went to Illinois to prevent a quorum in the right to work debate. They eventually lost on that issue and lost a number of seats in the General Assembly. Indiana Republicans have held a quorum-proof supermajority ever since. We'll talk about that with our panel coming up. Well, this week, we're also talking about the tragic death of a former state lawmaker from Indianapolis. Police found Dan Forrestal dead at a local motel Wednesday night. After being arrested on a series of criminal charges last year, he resigned to focus on his mental health. Forrestal was 38 years old. 
Coming up next, this Sunday in Focus, fighting misinformation when it comes to the coronavirus vaccines, what the current and former Surgeon General are saying about that, plus what a new study is saying about Indiana's workforce. We'll have that for you later this morning. It's painful for me to know that nearly every death we are seeing now from COVID-19 could have been prevented. The U.S. Surgeon General speaking at the White House press briefing this week to announce his new war against misinformation. Dr. Vivek Murphy calling online disinformation about the vaccines an imminent threat to our country's health. Former Surgeon General Jerome Adams from Indiana saying this week in the United States nearly all COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths are occurring in unvaccinated people. The risk of severe adverse events after any COVID vaccination remains far lower than adverse health outcomes associated with COVID. Let's talk about it now with our panel with us today on Zoom. You Indy political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson and 2016 vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. And here in studio, former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Good to see you all. Jen, there are more and more concerns about the Delta variant, the case numbers going up, and it seems more of an urgent effort right now to get people vaccinated and to get them to listen to trusted sources and not some of this misinformation out there on the internet. Absolutely. It's absolutely heartbreaking to watch these stories of people who are coming into hospitals with COVID and saying, oh my gosh, I regret not getting the vaccine. I, I, I really should have done that. And I do think that the misinformation campaign is important. I also think it's really important to see um, efforts to go into communities, whether it's the mobile efforts here in Indianapolis or going into places like Dollar General stores and making the vaccines more available to people who really, really need them. Mike, your thoughts on that and how do state and, and local officials try to cut through some of that noise and convince those who are still hesitant. Well, I, I have to disclose, first of all, that Hirons is doing a lot of the governor's COVID communications Your work. Firm, right yeah, now. right. So I want to make sure that's sure. Out, out front. Appreciate there. that. But I will tell so you, how that, do you do it? <laughs> that last night on national television, Frank Luntz, the famous uh, pollster, the pollster, GOP pollster, um, he came right. out with a new idea. He said, you know, the most, he said, you can't yell at people, you can't threaten them, right? Or they'll, they'll, they'll rebel. He said the most, uh, I guess, intimate, trusting relationship in any family is not the wife and the husband or even the, the, the parent and the child, it's the grandparents and the mm. child. He said, we need to enlist Talk grandmothers because nobody yeah. turns down a grandmother when she asks for a favor. Some reports, uh, Frank Luntz may also be helping the Biden administration now with some of those yeah, uh, messaging yes. efforts yes. now. Uh, Laura, we spoke earlier in the program about the pandemic's impact on our crime rate, on our economy, and also uh, on our schools, some pretty uh, troubling standardized test results here in Indiana from this past year that came out this week. Well, there were. When you look at those island results, I think they were 11% down relative to the 2019 test scores. Only 28% of students passed both the math and the English. But I also think when we consider the fact that we had an international pandemic, though it's disheartening. In some ways, those should be expected. The headline would have been if students were at the same level or if they achieved more in, in this past academic year. There's certainly a lot to catch up. I know we all would say this. I applaud the teachers, the administrators, the staff, the family, and, and of course the students. It was a very hard year. The test scores reflect that. Right, but this is the opportunity as hopefully things get back to normal um, that we're able to make up those strides and that students are able to to get that material and really start to master the content so that they're able to be successful when they ultimately graduate from high school. I'm hoping for a better school year ahead uh, in so many ways, no doubt. Tony, what about the news? The state is doing far better uh, than originally anticipated when it comes to 
our economy. We've got those uh, tax credits that will be going out next year to every Hoosier. Do both state and federal leaders deserve some credit for this? Well, definitely at the state level, Republicans who have put the, put the, the state in, in good fiscal, great fiscal shape for more than a decade now, and that's uh, what you're seeing because the states and at the, at the U.S., at the national level, because we had a strong economy, we were able to rebound better than states that didn't or that countries that were in poor shape before the pandemic, before the crisis hit. And, and you're seeing that in Indiana. Uh, now, now we've got robust revenues above uh, above the forecast, and and uh, Hoosiers will benefit. Those were Republican state leaders at the legislature. You mentioned the supermajorities that you've had in the House and Senate, and Republican governors. So that's where I uh, lay just about all the credit at the state level, and also uh, for the Trump administration, the economy that was roaring before the pandemic hit. That's why you were able to recover sooner than other countries. Democrats this week saying uh, the American Rescue Plan should be uh, added in there in terms of uh, some of the potential uh, reasons why we're doing better. Hey, we showed you this video earlier. We talked about uh, those supermajorities and uh, back in 2012, the walkout here in Indiana when Democrats in the General Assembly left for Illinois to try and prevent a vote on the right to work bill. It didn't work. It kind of backfired politically. The GOP picking up those Super majorities uh, that Tony just spoke of there. You see some of those state lawmakers, former House Speaker Pat Bauer there at the hotel in Illinois where they left to after walking out of the state house. Some of you were pretty involved back then. Uh, Jennifer, that's back in your days as communications director for the state party. Uh, and as we look at what's going on now in the state of Texas this week, what are your thoughts on, on their methods here and whether there's really any hope of blocking that controversial election bill? Is it a difficult maneuver to use while some Democrats are also calling for an end to the to the filibuster in DC so turning back time to a you know this was a this was a fun point in my career let me tell you <laughs> um, we had a path forward in Indiana to get the governor to take right to, work, right to work off the table. So I think the walkout we took a principled stand it was a negotiation tactic it ultimately did not work. Um, in Texas, they face a much, much uh, more difficult plight because Governor Abbott has said no matter how many times you go, I'm just going to keep calling a special session and bringing you back. So I will say, though, that when you were in a minority, and I've been in the minority for most of my time in Indiana Democratic politics, that's all you can do. You raise awareness and you hope people care about the issue. And Mike, what's your response to that? And, and how much does the former president's rhetoric on the 2020 election and and the transition of power this earlier this year kind of complicate this issue as well. Well, first of all, walkouts are, ne they never accomplish what they want to accomplish. They're really about um, telling your base that we're fighting for you in the General Assembly, okay? Um, there have been more exciting walkouts, actually. The one in 1995. You were just telling us about this one John, in 1995. John Gregg yeah. led the Democrats across the farm And fields, you were in the legislature. And I was then, in the legislature. Yeah. I was a rookie then. And uh, he kept him out for a week or a week and a half. The Republicans walked out. I think it was 2001 over redistricting. We thought we were being treated unfairly. Of course we did. We were in the minority. And so that always happens. You know, what the former president is doing is he is, uh, he's not helping anything, quite frankly. Um, every, all of his rhetoric is uh, meant to stir up um, emotion and to, to break down the process. Okay. This is supposed to be a process where you you compromise and negotiate one-on-one. -on -one. Okay.
We're also looking ahead here to the next election cycles here in Indiana. Fundraising reports out this past week. Senator Todd Young bringing in a lot of money ahead of his run for re-election next year. Then there's the race for governor in 2024. Some interesting fundraising numbers reported this week amongst the potential GOP candidates for governor. Suzanne Crouch with more than a million dollars in her campaign coffers. Eric Doden, the former IEDC chair, raising nearly a million dollars himself. Tony, quickly uh, surprised to, to see uh, him there up at the top of the pack in terms of fundraising so far? Well, Eric's a very smart guy, a very aggressive guy. He's got a lot of good connections around the state. Remember, he was at IEDC uh, for quite a while. He uh, raised most of that money, uh, 100, about 109, I think it was, uh, different uh, contributions, put some in uh, uh, for himself and his family, but the vast majority was from uh, other folks, and he's got commitments for a lot more. So he'll be strong. Um, his challenge will be getting a message across. He'll have if, if okay. the money will help. But, but he's not okay. not well-known, but that can change with, with uh, good fundraising. Okay. Suzanne, Suzanne Crouch is a powerhouse at fundraising, yeah. and uh, she'll be the leader in all of this. She's raised a lot of money uh, so far. All right, coming up next, what a new study saying about Indiana's workforce. We'll talk with a local group that just got some key results back in an important study on our economy. We've been hearing a lot about the employment market lately, the pandemic changing our economy in so many ways. A lot of questions now about wages and where we stack up compared to other states. Something I discussed this week with a local group that's taking a closer look at this issue. Melissa Roberts is here with us today. She's with the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, which commissioned a study on our state's economy. You found fewer than half of Indiana's workers, 43% have jobs that provide family sustaining wages and health care. What else did this study find and, and how concerned are you by, by some of those findings? Yeah, that's correct. And so we also found uh, a lot of the focus around this report was on Indiana's advanced industries. And these are really critical to our economy because these are the industries like advanced manufacturing and logistics, life sciences, that are really STEM intensive, R&D focused and driven by innovation. And these are big uh, contributors to our state's economy. You think of those as high wage jobs, maybe not as high as they are in other states. They are the they are a good source of good jobs, as Brookings has defined them, uh, because of that technology component and the additional skills required to um, complete those types of jobs. Um, so the advanced industries in Indiana, we actually have one of the highest concentrations of advanced industries of all the states in the nation. Um, so we found that there is a presence of them in all 92 counties, all regions of the state, and that is a very good sign for our economy. Um, what we also found, however, is that the productivity of those advanced industries is not keeping pace with the national average, and that hurts our competitiveness. So we're down by about 15% of the national average in terms of our output per worker, the productivity of those industries. And so it's really important that we continue to invest and sort of double down on these um, really critical industries in our state to help drive a more prosperous community. How much of an impact uh, did the pandemic have, does the pandemic have, continue to have on our workforce? It certainly does. I will say that one of the unique opportunities of this study is that we were completing it in the middle of the right. onset of the pandemic. So we had a bit of a chance to look both kind of the before and after the onset of the pandemic to see how that was impacting us. Um, and so Indiana actually was recovering at a fairly good clip 
after the onset of the pandemic. We are probably in the top 10 of states in terms of their pace of recovery and the rate at which they're recovering lost jobs. Um, Indiana lost about 52,000 jobs at the onset of the pandemic. And so we are making really good strides at coming back to our kind of pre-pandemic levels. And so finding opportunities and ways to reallocate workers who are lost in that mix and supporting them with better uh, educational pathways, training and development opportunities to reach into those better jobs is really important. What, what other, other specific solutions would you like to see? Well, the report by Brookings Institution had a few recommendations. One of those is increasing digital adoption. So our state actually ranks uh, 37th among states in the nation in terms of per employee IT spending and investment. So our firms, both large and small, are not investing very highly both in the technology itself as well as the, the skills and training needed for workers to um, really be able to work with these new um, robotics, data in, uh, analytics, um, automation, these new technologies that are coming into many different industries. And so increasing that will actually help our advanced industries competitiveness and productivity. Something that uh, I know we'll be hearing more about. Melissa Roberts, thank you so much for being with us thank today. You. We appreciate it. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, I'll start with you. Just losers, the state legislators from uh, Texas that walked out on their constituents. They're doing a terrible disservice to the folks of Texas, and they're going to learn a lesson, the same one that the House Democrats in Indiana learned. They'll be in the super minority uh, for a long time. Laura. My winners are the students of Indiana. Uh, the Indy Star reported probably 97% of students took the iLearn, and that's fantastic, particularly given the circumstances. My losers are people who perpetuate misinformation about COVID and the vaccine. It's not only bad, it's it literally, it can be deadly. And, and this is really important for us to be able to get over the pandemic. Yeah. Mike? Uh, two winners, um, Todd Young for an outstanding uh, year so far in fundraising and Eric Doden making a very surprising yeah. first run. I mean, money is the mother's right. milk of politics, as they say, right? Yeah, he's doing well. Jennifer? I just want to offer my you know, thoughts and prayers and condolences to the friends and family of Dan Forrestal. And, you know, he battled his demons. He talked about his battle and he ultimately did not prevail. All right, we've got to leave it there. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Thanks so much for joining us.